0: Welcome to the Alienist Angel of Darkness Recap Podcast. My name is Alex, and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Angel of Darkness. And my name is Nick, and I have read Caleb Carr's The Angel of Darkness. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 3 of the TNT series, titled Labyrinth. While we will not be spoiling any of the book, and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details through Season 2, Episode 3, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode. Just in case you are unaware, the show is airing two episodes at a time in the United States, but we are still recording separate podcast episodes for each television episode. So this episode of our podcast is only discussing the third episode. In our feed each week, two episodes are being posted about 12 hours apart. If you accidentally skipped an episode, go back and check our feed for the one you missed or to see if the next one has been posted. You can find more episodes of our podcast at thealienist.tv, and you can send feedback to feedback at thealienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to mpnbz Patreon or patreon.com slash MidwestPodNet and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K. Gojo and Sitsa who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. Speaking of the other shows on the Midwest Podcast Network, check out Horror Movie Yearbook as they finish their summer of Scream discussing Scream 4 as well as the Midwest Game Nerds where we just talked about Ghost of Tsushima. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? That's good. I'm good. I'm all right. Nice. Got more alienists to discuss now. Now that we're
1: halfway through the season. Yeah. <laughs> you're 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 doing well
0: still. Yes. Okay. Yes. Four good. four episodes later. Yeah. Yeah. Halfway but, through this uh, crazy journey. Yeah. Shall we get right to it? Yeah. Why
1: not? I can't think of any. Any banter for this episode yet, so let's just roll right on through.
0: <laughs> coronavirus, coronavirus, and...
1: just Basically, 100 days from the election. I think today go. marks 100 days. These are the two things we seem to bring up for some reason. Pandemic and politics.
0: Yes, the dawn of the 100th day. Or the dusk, <laughs> I guess, at this point. Anyway, let's get on with it. The teaser. Sarah tries hypnosis from Laszlo so that she can recommend it to Senora Linares without reservation. Despite her skepticism, she appears to give over to it and experiences a memory from her past. She's 12 years old, running through a field outside of her family's house in Rhinebeck. All of a sudden she remembers blood on her hands and that, uh, in that memory and asked to stop. She looks quite shaken from the experience, but also somewhat convinced. Um, it was cool to see how the show would treat the hypnosis. And, yeah, the experience of it. Yeah, and I liked the fact that like you could they kind of put Sarah half in and half out and, and like she had had the balloon in her hand and she lets it go and she's but she's still in Laszlo's room. Right. I thought that was a really interesting depiction kind of of that. You know. I've never been hypnotized that I know of, so I can't really like relate to it that way. But um but I thought it was kind of a, a cool depiction and I kind of wish they would have done Something more like that with the Senora later, but they, they don't really.
1: Yeah, I liked the way it was shot in that, like, the, when her arm was extended up, like, mm-hmm. oh, grasping the balloon, she was in the room as well, but it, like, kind of almost matched the same angle. It was yeah. really cool. Like, I, I liked it a lot.
0: It like a felt match on action, as it's, yeah, seen. and it felt
1: like what i would imagine that would actually feel like like that kind of strange kind of like when you have those dreams where like you're like if your alarm goes off but you go back to sleep and Mm. you start dreaming but you're like not quite as deep in a sleep as you were that same kind of sensation where you know you're awake but you're also dreaming it's weird yeah
0: yeah no it was it was interesting um but yeah other than that i don't know that there's too much on the uh On the teaser, Rhinebeck is a a city that's partway between New York City and Albany, just for reference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, Sarah grew up in the country. Okay, so that makes sense. There's some stuff
1: to do with this that comes up again later that is kind of material from the first book, which is cool. Something they didn't really touch on.
0: Well, okay, so I will say they did eventually get to the point where... Sarah told John, I think, at the end of the season one that her father killed himself or her father required her help to kill himself, basically. Mm-hmm. And so I, I assumed that this is what this is kind of pertaining to. But, you know, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, But all right. Anything else on the teaser? Mm-mm.
1: Oh, oh, other than that. Daniel
0: Bruhl has an amazing hypnosis voice. If I was going to be hypnosis, 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 if I was going to hypnotized (laughs) by anybody, Daniel Bruhl, totally down.
1: Yeah, I was sitting on the couch, kind of going
0: leaning. Well, and I liked his very like erudite, because I'm I'm used to like the the obligatory like NBC sitcom of you're getting sleepy, and he's like dangling a watch in front of their face, right? Yeah. So, his, like, kind of, like, hypnosis, the Greek god of, and, and like, all of that stuff, I, I felt like was a pretty novel introduction to, to the hypnosis. So, mm-hmm. that, was, that was pretty cool. It was. Uh, Alright, act one. By observing the gown that Martha Knapp's baby was discovered in, the team deduced that the abductor may be a woman. One who aspires for affluence and kills because she is jealous other women get what was taken from her. Bitsy provides a list of people who are big donors to the hospital, and Augie Gildersleeve, a friend of John's, is on that list. Sarah calls on Augie to get her an interview with Dr. Marco at the hospital. Sarah shows up at the hospital, pokes around the maternal research wing, and gets caught by the matron. In her interview with Marco, he gives no quarter despite Sarah pushing hard for a report on the incident with Martha Knapp. He doesn't claim to have one, but will allow her to take a look around the hospital sarah meets libby one of the girls that works at the hospital she's a little more forthcoming with information but claims none of the girls know what happened that night we see the matron tell another one of the girls that dr marco has requested her presence in his office sarah tries to stop her from going but the matron uh, insists there were two very long first acts in both of these episodes a lot of stuff (laughs) happened so we'll we'll kind of go back through it here um wonderful john moment right off the top uh when when laszlo speaks uh latin and john's like oh please laszlo no one speaks latin anymore and uh lucius is immediately like here's what he said
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i that
0: that might as well have been straight out of the book it was perfect it was perfect i I laughed very hard at it and nicole's like why are you laughing so hard and i was like it's john is just kind of an idiot and it's really funny (laughs) (laughs) yep exactly Speaking of John being an idiot, I did do one third of my homework. Google. Oh good. Yeah. So I can I can insert Google into the podcast whenever (laughs) I need to, but unfortunately, I don't think there was any goo goo in either of excuse me. Google. In either of these episodes. (laughs) So um, but it'll be there for the next four. I like that you chose the shortest, quickest. Smallest one that was available. Uh, yeah, I, I tried to like get just the snippet of just goo goo if I if there was no like it would be only be better if there was no room tone or soundtrack or anything like that, unfortunately. I couldn't isolate it. Uh but uh but we have this. That's
1: <laughs> it's so good. Goo <laughs> goo knocks. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's uh that was a very, very funny John moment. And the the Isaacsons and Laszlo have like a really cool relationship where like they, they obviously really look up to him and it's the, the Isaacsons themselves are so different from each other that it's funny because they both uh, respond to Laszlo in different ways and they both bring different things out of him. And Lucius is definitely like the hardcore dorky one who would immediately translate the Latin for somebody else's benefit.
0: Yeah, it's, well, and on to another point, uh, correction for the last two episodes, I think I might have swapped Marcus and Lucius in every instance that I brought them up in the first two episodes of our podcast, but... It's easy to do. My like, apologies.
1: Yeah, I, um, I think I did the same thing on our first episode of season one, and I mm. read the books. Like, I should be able to keep them straight.
0: Yeah, you know.
1: There's a really um, good little anecdote in... Uh, Towards the, or in the opening of the of the Angel of Darkness the book, where Sarah is bringing them all, and when the Isaacsons show up, uh, they always describe Marcus as being like taller, a little more put together, handsomer, very like noble looking, and Lucius mm-hmm. is like shorter and always sweaty and always nervous. And they say that when Marcus sees Sarah, he like is really excited. He's like Sarah and like gives her a hug, and she like says it's good to see you, and then. She sees Lucius, and he's like, hi, Miss Howard. And he's, like, more timid. And she goes in and pecks him on the cheek. And it says, like, in the text, knowing that he would never be as as bold as Marcus. And he immediately starts sweating and pulls out his little handkerchief. And he's like, <laughs> oh, it's good to see you. And it's just, like, immediately, like, uh, like, a girl. And it's very it's very fun and, like, adorable. They
0: had a little bit of that in the first episode when, when uh, Marcus sees Bitsy. So it seems like there's a Marcus Bitsy... The Tumblr crowd might be shipping Marcus and Bitsy together. Mm, maybe. But uh yeah. No, I yeah, it that all reads like I feel like I could have written that based off of the experience of the two of them in the show. Yeah, and, and exactly.
1: So that just that just means that they're they're nailing it. They're getting it right for sure. Yeah. The guy who plays Marcus, he's also in Big Little Lies. I don't remember his name. Uh he's
0: good. Douglas Smith plays Marcus. So yeah, I'm completely confused now, apparently. I don't know. Anyway. Marcus is in big little lies. Think yes, of you are think crying. of
1: M and L like Mario and Luigi cuz Okay. Although perfect. physically <laughs> no, physically they're the inverse of that. Damn it. No, that doesn't work. That's no good. <laughs> well, Mario's like the main one and Marcus yes. is like the main one. He's like that, the leader.
0: That works. Even that though
1: works. he's shorter. <laughs>
0: If if I trip up in my notes later on, please forgive me, listeners and Nick. So you were saying that Bitsy was being shipped with Lucius because they were kind of like nervous around each other. Yeah, yeah, okay. That makes more sense.
1: Yeah, Marcus was the one who was having the fling with the girl in season one.
0: Yep, yep. So
1: Douglas Smith is the actor's name? Yes. Okay, yeah. He
0: he was in Big Little Lies. Yes.
1: He's good. He's good as Marcus. He's not at all what I would have pictured. I would have, as I was reading it, this last time i was picturing like a Sacha baron cohen kind of type like mm. even though he wouldn't really be described as like conventionally handsome he he like he can clean up well yeah and present well
0: he also, also is awesome nerdy.
1: yeah exactly he, he would have been great like that's the thing is that i picture them a little older than they are in the show but they're mm. they're both fantastic like they both really really nail it so i i like the isaacson's a lot
0: yeah absolutely
1: They also Um, feel more, like, settled in in this season. Everyone kind of does, but I really feel it with Isaacsons. Like, they just, for some reason, everybody just feels more, like, at ease. Not at ease. They just feel more in tune with their character. Everybody's performances feel better, but also the characters feel a little bit more realized, I think. And, And I can't yet put my finger on why, like, what it is. If their writing's just a little better, if because we've had a whole season with them, now... Where it's a little more broken in but i I'm loving how how fluid it all feels and how good they all feel in the roles
0: yeah no i I completely agree there's not it doesn't um it doesn't really have the kind of initial like for I guess for you from the book perspective fitting these actors into those characters is probably a harder task than it is for me as somebody who didn't have that uh any preconceived conception of these characters sure. but I still feel like I'm recognizing the same thing as you. Like, I, I feel like everybody's just kind of more naturally taking to their their lines and, and just kind of, like, they gel well together. So maybe it's the fact that they've already spent a season of television recording things together, and now they're back again. They know yeah. each other. There's a rapport. That's so. true.
1: That's a good way to put it.
0: Um, Other thoughts here. We do get a shot of the chalkboard where Laszlo just writes grief Hell yes, we do, <laughs> and it's so
1: good. I have it in my notes. I had the chalkboard with an exclamation point.
0: I I, ex, I exclaim the chalk. Nicole can attest that I exclaim the word chalkboard anytime we see somebody interact with it on the show. So it's so funny that it's. I really can't
1: talk about it every episode, but aside from <laughs> all the the symbolism and and what it means, like it's such an important tool hmm. for visualization for them to get because in every every cop movie, every cop show, every law and order, every everything like this, they always have the board with the pictures of the suspects and the the yarn that's connecting people mm-hmm. and getting it all up onto a surface where everybody can look at it and it it's a I mean it's a like a basically a proven thing where you get all that information up there and you might Suddenly, your brain will make a connection that it didn't before because you're able to visually take it all in. Yeah. And that's something that they do kind of remark in the book that is kind of an interesting thing that's not commonly done. This is one of Laszlo's kind of ideas is to just, I mean, literally, just like that, we'll write a word on the board that seems like it might be related. And there's plenty of times throughout both books where he'll erase something that no longer has meaning or something that was a dead end or something that wasn't as important as they thought. And then he'll just write something else in its place or reorganize the way the words are. Like it's, it's such an interesting exercise for them as a, as like a detective uh, group and the way they have to think and the way they have to try to connect dots and put clues together, especially in the first book when they're literally just trying to find this man's, identity literally any scrap about him they're they're literally just trying to assemble a profile on this person so any tiny shred of information like the facial tick in season one and that kind of thing becomes big and they also mention the books too how certain words will be written really huge because they think that's super important other things will be smaller and then they'll kind of change it around so it's cool to see that that moment kind of make it in there where he's writing grief and calling attention to the idea that these big words will rattle around in their heads for a while until they tease some meaning out of it
0: that's funny, because uh, honestly, in the way that I even said that on the, uh, moments ago, it, to me, he—I guess this is a sad point. It almost felt like a joke, right? To me, for some reason, like the, just the idea of like him writing the word grief up there, and then they don't look at anything else on the board. Right? In that yeah. Shot. The way right. it's shot is, like, just to
1: see that one word.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I guess it's cool that the context that you have, it meant more to you, but it's sad that that didn't necessarily convey to me without you saying something about it. So, right, I know, but I know, I yeah. know. Was it, it feels <laughs> like the the focus on, the, the show for what it is, Last last season we remarked that it didn't really set itself apart from, like, current police procedurals. Hmm. and by not including that stuff it's almost not um it's not even commenting on the novelty of this idea of putting all of that information up there and trying to see it in that way sure. so so it feels like even though that would maybe bring it closer to some of current police procedurals it feels like they could they they could have done something to kind of set it apart, or or show show everybody that this isn't necessarily how the way things were done, or that the technology itself made it harder to do than you do nowadays, that kind of thing. hmm So. Uh, but, yeah. Chalkboard. Fantastic. Uh, can we talk about the name Augie Gildersleeve? Yes, please. Perfect. Perfect Gilded Age name. <laughs> yeah, High Society. And also, like, I, I just probably could have assumed that John had a friend named Auggie Gildersleeve.
1: Yeah, that's good. is gonna have to go
0: on the soundboard after Goo Goo. Yeah, start stringing together
1: John saying all
0: these names. (laughs) They just picked names that Luke Evans would would say funnily. They only have
1: O's and G's, and then maybe a (laughs) vowel or two to help out. Next is gonna Uh, be the Oingo Boingo and Oogie Boogie Man. (laughs)
0: um is agi in the book at all that you remember i Probably don't remember so <laughs>
1: there i don't remember there's there's a lot of stuff in this and the next episode that i like was kind of like in my chair and i was like I, uh, is that in the book and like i genuinely <laughs> couldn't remember but i think it's if it's not it's they're doing a great job of making me think it is like it's fitting so well into the show that I I'm having a hard time differentiating between what's in the book and what's not. I'm trying really hard to keep up with my, uh, with my reading at the same time as the show, but I fell behind again because I was traveling for work this past week. So it was tough, but uh, I am going to make some strides this week and hopefully kind of get caught up again. But I mean, Jesus, we're halfway through the show already. I can't be halfway through the book by now. It's not. Although, the this feels kind of like stuff still from like the first third of the book or so like it all hmm. still feels kind of front-ended so i'd expect some pretty heavy deviation for these last four
0: episodes but interesting it's all good i'm yeah i'm liking it a lot um just to step back for a minute cuz i forgot to comment on it the idea that they're looking at the gown that the baby was found in and kind of teasing apart these details about the profile of the person who made it and things of that. Like that's getting down to some of that process that
1: yes that
0: uh we missed in in previous episodes. And so I I really enjoyed them combing that evidence for what it was worth and really getting a lot of something out of it that appears to be correct. You know? Yeah at least yeah.
1: Well and that's the cool thing too is now with their experience with the Beecham case, they're good at this now. Like they Mm -hmm they know each other's instincts and they know each other's intuition and they're able to, to feed off of that a little bit more because with the first case, they were kind of like, they were all kind of in it together. They were all trying to prove it. And now that they've, they've done it and they know they've done it, they can, they kind of know what each other's strengths are and what each other, and especially with Sarah, like there's, there's insight she's bringing to the table that, uh, that they seem to occasionally have a hard time accepting But at the same time, they're kind of quick to get over it because I think it's when she proposes. I think it's the beginning of episode three when she proposes something and John's like, nah. And Laszlo's like, yeah. And that's when he says the Latin phrase and he basically says Occam's razor. Like sometimes we look for something more complicated when really.
0: Yeah, she she posits the idea that this is likely a woman who did this because Laszlo's like the stitching is really good. And she's like, yes, it's probably a seamstress. And he's like, or oh, it's a surgeon, because exactly. he wants to yep. pin it on Dr. Marco. Yep. But, you know, John's kind of like, that easy? And then they, they talk about the the Occam's Razors thing. So, it, yeah, it's interesting. It, it I think it's also kind of, um, it's weird to see Laszlo bringing a personal vendetta into it, for yeah. me, at least. You would think a man of science that he claims to be, he would want to try and separate thing and look at things and look at the evidence as broadly as he can. And, and he still does that, but I think he's like leaving a door open of like, maybe Marco is still part of it. Right. And so, um,
1: yeah, I think the thing
0: about Laszlo too, that's, and
1: I kind of mentioned this in our previous episodes this season, something that I felt was a little bit missing from the show was the, that it Laszlo's Laszlo's nerves and his emotions run really deep and like he he kind of covers it up most of the time but when it does come out it comes out big and uh he feels you know really hard so i think that the the whole dr marco thing is definitely it's hit a nerve for him and he yeah. he is becoming biased towards it and i think he sort of realizes it as he's saying it out loud with and then when he kind of goes back to the Occam's razor thing he's kind of like well you know she may be correct like it could it could be that simple that's where the that's where the evidence is pointing
0: yeah Um, Sarah at the hospital, kind of checking out the maternal research wing, running into patients and things of that nature. Um, I think they do a good job of kind of amping up the tension of those scenes because you know, people are going where they shouldn't be going and checking out things that they shouldn't see. And, and you know that the matron is always kind of lurking around somewhere too. Um, it's, it's just kind of like, they just do a really good job they did a great job of establishing that building and people in there and the mood of it and how the employees feel and what the patients are experiencing and things of that nature. So I think that came across really well with Sarah kind of poking around. And-
1: yeah. There's a lot of really good tension in these two episodes. Like there's some, mm-hmm. there's some good stuff. There's one, there's a scene that made me gasp that I'll have to talk about later. Cause it was so well done. But I'll. that's actually in the next episode. But
0: okay. A we'll, uh, little tease for the yeah, next episode. Yeah, there you go.
1: Stick with us for the next three hours. <laughs> then we'll get to episode four. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> Dr. Marco, uh, that interview, I think, uh, you know, he's doing more of what I expected him to do, kind of.
1: Yeah, you put that really well last week with the way he kind of comes across. Because I thought the same thing. I When we see him... Working and the laying in hospital, he's kind of menacing and scary. And then when he's talking to Sarah, he presents really well. And I was like, Ooh, mm-hmm. "Here's exactly what Alex was saying."
0: Yeah, it's he's just got this very. I think he he has a good. Uh, you can sense the authority on him, right? And and it and it feels like like he probably knows what he's talking about. But then there's also part of me that also suspects that he is using his knowledge against everybody else. Right. Simply Mm -hmm. the idea of like, we are going to say abort these babies and tell them that the children are gone or they didn't make it or, you know, stillborn or whatever the situation may be. And, and so uh, I don't know what it is about, uh, about the man portraying Dr. Marco, whose name I've already forgot. Once again, Michael Mack L. Hatton, I think maybe, yeah, I don't know. I only served to get it wrong again, but, um, No, I I, I liked the interview and I like that Sarah, Sarah doesn't, they still, they feel very matched, even though you would think that like a younger woman coming to interview this like established doctor would be at a disadvantage. It doesn't feel like Sarah's at a disadvantage at all. Right. So I like, I like both of these characters and their positions here and the posturing that kind of happens in that scene. Yeah, me too. Um... And then we get a little tour of the hospital, uh, Sarah meeting Libby, um, and also, uh, she also meets a woman named Colleen, who kind of becomes more important in the next episode, so we can kind of name check that here as well. But um, just kind of the general operations of the hospital, it, it seems like, honestly, they show, they sh- at one point they show a woman kind of squatting and peeing into like a chamber pot. And I was like, I don't know that I've ever seen that on cable television before. (laughs) (laughs) Not that they were showing any nudity or anything like that, because it is TNT, but like, uh, it just kind of took, the the show continues to push the envelope, I suppose, in in this episode. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, it was very striking the way that that shot was composed. The way she was leaning was even very kind of creepy.
0: Yeah. It was yeah.
1: kind of exorcisty, like the physicality of it and the way she mm-hmm. was sort of silhouetted. It was, it was very, yeah, it was weird.
0: Yeah. Um, any, any thoughts right now about like Libby? I don't necessarily want to delve too far ahead with it, but, um, you know, I feel like they, they've started establishing these kind of working women in the hospital and, and, uh, kind of the abuse that they receive from the matron and and yeah. uh, just kind of the horrors that they also have to deal with, you know, delousing somebody. Like, I, I've never had to comb any lice out of anybody's hair, knock on wood, but I assume it's not going to be fun. Um, <laughs> well,
1: and, and, just, and the fact that, like, even, like, the shears they use for it are so threatening-looking. Everything, mm. <laughs> Everything seems really scary there. Like, everything. It's it, like
0: those... Like the Dark Ages doctor masks that just look like crow faces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the plague doctors. Yeah, exactly.
1: You're like, you look at that and you're like, why? (laughs) Some guy made that and was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, it's so bizarre and creepy. Yeah, there's so much creepy stuff. The juxtaposition of like the, well, especially in episode four. The, uh, sh- Let's just review episode four right now. <laughs> uh, this is actually a secret episode four episode <laughs> within episode three. Uh, the the contrast between the, the lying in the hospital and then like the society balls and parties and stuff is just so gross and so stark. Um, and that the delousing scene is a perfect thing to call attention to because it was so ugh, everything about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so the hospital and all the women are kind of like Sarah's detective agency in the show where against the book, it's really been expanded and had a lot more attention paid to it. And a lot of life breathed into it that wasn't there. And I, I like it a lot. I like the hospital. I like the whole cast of characters there too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I even like in contrast to last season, the idea that like, i feel feel like I could kind of paint a little bit of a picture of, like, when they're approaching the hospital. I know the uh, the broad iron gate that's out front with the name on it, and you have kind of mm-hmm. this um buttressed tower that has, like, an opening in it that you walk through to get to, like, the main entrance and things like that. It, it just, it, it feels like a more real location and less of a set than, say, like, even um, their meeting place did in, in the previous season. Right. So, yeah. All right, act two, 30 minutes in. (laughs) I was going to say,
1: what? I thought that was act three.
0: (laughs) There's so much that happened in that first act, so hopefully these go a little bit quicker. Uh, Laszlo throws the cloth that he got from Martha Knapp onto the baby's coffin as it is lowered onto Martha's coffin. The Isaacsons use a hand-cranked centrifuge to discover the baby's stomach had breast milk in it at the time of death. Sarah asks Libby to lunch. She learns that a report may exist, as someone did interview people at the hospital about the NAP case. Libby can't go looking for it, but Sarah gives her a card anyway. After lunch, Sarah shares the, the, shares the Linares case with Libby. Libby appears to remember the case and suggests that the matron was acting weird around that particular baby, but dismisses that she would be the killer. Sarah heads to the matron's apartment and tries to get in, but gets caught. She asks the neighbor if she's ever heard a baby in the apartment, and she says she has, but it's been a while. She remarks that it's sad because the matron could never have her own babies. Helen, the mistress, uh, dropped off uh, at the hospital in episode two, awakens from her sedation to see the matron trying on a purple dress that uh, Mr. Osgood purchased for her. Um, She doesn't want the dress, though. She wants her baby. So Laszlo with the cloth at the gravesite, I thought, was, was good, and just kind of the idea of them lowering this child onto the mother's casket well, so soon after the death it was terrible, hard. Yeah. yeah. Really sad. Um, that little, that little
1: tiny, the visual of that little tiny coffin is just like,
0: so yeah, pressing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the Isaacson's a little bit more science here. I meant to kind of look into it to really try and understand what would be done to deduce whether or not something is breast milk from a microscope.
1: Yeah, that that was a little TV sciencey, I think, for me as well, because I was watching that and he literally appears through and he's like Mmm, breast milk. It's blood and breast milk and <laughs> charcoal. And they like looks through and I was like, What? Are there little signs in there that tell you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't um I don't really know what like I, I I guess maybe he knew it was a liquid and it was in a baby's stomach, but like at the same time it's just kind of uh, yeah i
1: don't know what they can see with a micro. that's the thing like i i don't think it'd be impossible to identify that for what it was but under a microscope i also thought it was a little weird and i'm by no means a, a scientist so i uh yeah i don't know yeah i thought the same it, it kind of made me raise an eyebrow too but i was like i'm gonna let it go because it looks like they somehow managed to dig up a period accurate centrifuge and that's pretty tight so <laughs>
0: that was really cool the idea that it uses a hand crank i was sitting there like what fucking gear ratio do they use so that he can put so little effort into it and it spins so damn fast yeah. like it was that was pretty interesting so it, they it probably they uh, probably
1: made it themselves that'd be a thing that it's, it's, the isaacson's like oh, i made this
0: yeah what do you call absolutely.
1: it a, a whirly sh- a wh- <laughs> <I don't
0: know. laughs> some stupid name for it a whirly gig yeah a goo goo um Sarah's lunch with Libby, uh, interesting to kind of see them bond. They bond over the fact that it seems like both of their fathers committed suicide. Sarah's with a gun and, well, committed suicide, quote-unquote. Um, and Libby's with a rope, uh, over a bridge. Um, but I feel like, um this is kind of hard for me to even talk about knowing what we know from the following episode, right? But I I feel as though the... um, Libby's kind of behavior throughout the lunch and her nervousness, I think, gets very um, highlighted in a sense. and, And you get to feeling as though, you know, she's afraid to upset the matron. She doesn't know what she should be doing. But it also kind of had this just kind of off-putting undertone and like her i guess i guess the thing that really caught me was the idea of her being like oh your dad committed suicide i can bond with you over that she kind of gets excited about it too and it's just it'd be a weird thing to kind of like discuss with somebody that you just met yeah even if it comes up in like a natural conversation so i i i thought they kind of put you on edge with libby almost immediately
1: that's funny i uh i kind of got the opposite vibe from it all i mean i hmm. i think you get i get the impression that their they're their lives are so like depressing mm-hmm. and they're especially enduring the matron all the time and the things that they see day in and day out that like the the opportunity to find uh, a friend outside of yeah. there, especially somebody with shared trauma like that, but also the fact that Sarah's like a little more upper crust and she took her to a restaurant that she clearly does not belong in. Yeah. The whole thing is kind of like, I think, sort of a thrill for her. And she's clearly out of her out of her comfort zone, and she does. She just ordered because she was like. There were only little things that I found very charming. Like she's like, oh, I was too nervous to read the menu, and yeah, she she is just as, uh, oh shit, how did Aggie put it with regard to Sarah, like refreshingly. Um, do you remember what I'm talking about where Aggie basically said she's, she's very upfront and direct with everything. Yes. She, yes. Libby's kind of the same way with Sarah. And I think that they both kind of feed off of that. They, they kind of both disarm each other, I think, which is cool. They're, uh, they're people that seem used to dealing with, uh, with difficult stuff. And, uh, they, they both
0: kind of seem relaxed around each other, which is nice. That that makes a lot of sense too. Like I, I guess there was just something about it to me that felt um, f- felt a little strange about how how quickly they both disarmed each other, as you said, and and yeah, and it it just um, you know why Sarah's doing it. Sarah absolutely wants to get as much information as she can, right? But it also comes from like an earnest place because it's not like Sarah's exactly. A, yeah, that's how I felt. A, a, terrible woman or terrible person in any, by any stretch of the imagination. So it, uh, but at the same time, like, I, I guess I was kind of wondering why Libby would be doing that, but I think you're right. I think the idea that they see the horrors of this lying in hospital every day, the blood that they mop up, the babies that are getting lost and that are dying, that kind of thing. Um, it, I think that makes total sense. It
1: does feel very genuine. Like, like you said, it comes from an earnest place and it does feel like yeah. an honest conversation uh, and they, there has to be something nice for two women to be able to sit down and talk openly about that without having to be saying it to a man, <laughs> and yeah, and be yeah. worried about what stupid crap he's gonna say in response. So it's it's got to be nice for them to just find another another gal to laugh at oysters with, and order <laughs> yeah. a, a beef pie instead. Yes, uh, it's no egg cream though.
0: That true, very true. We, ha- we haven't seen John enjoy a nice egg cream as of yet, not but we'll yet. be watching for it.
1: Yeah.
0: Maybe he'll have one with... Google. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's saying Google to me because, Is that, because on, it's so I, short. <laughs> I kid you not, the first time I watched it, I swear he was saying Google. Google now I swear to God. <laughs> but,
1: uh... Yeah, but it yeah. seems like a, a, a few characters that he can't both do an american accent and say cleanly
0: yeah it's like it weirdly conflicts with the affectation that he's trying to put on Ex- for the show exactly right? yeah. yeah he Absolutely. he found
1: like a, a stopgap in his in his uh american accent he's like i can't where's my <laughs> dialect coach to say goo"? how
0: how how yeah. do i do let's hear it one more time google <laughs> all right i can picture him on set being like with his mouth, like, trying to get his tongue to work. Like a dog with peanut butter on the roof <laughs> of his mouth. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful. No, he's got one of those cigarettes just stuck between the top yeah, and on, a, on the bridge in his mouth. and a bunch of Fig Newtons
1: stuck on the roof of his mouth. <laughs> oh, man. That still, to this day, remains the most bizarre and hilarious product placement ever. Yeah. That is the funniest shit. That
0: <laughs> was it was very good. I don't I don't even know if it was product placement, right? It just like it probably it's it wasn't natural by any stretch of the imagination, but it it did feel like something that a man would bring up at that time as he passed the town of Newton on a train. <laughs> I guess. <laughs>
1: I don't know. We were talking about them remarking on, like, automobiles and stuff like that. And, like, how are they going to yeah. make that dialogue? But, like, Newtons, what? <laughs> it's so good. I don't, I
0: don't, I love it. I love it so yeah. much. That was beautiful. Yeah. A beautiful time in season one. Go back and check it out if you haven't. Oh, yeah. Um, Sarah checking out the matron's apartment. So, it seems like Libby... Uh, Libby suggests the matron as, as one of these, uh, suspects uh, around the hospital, um, at least with her, based on her interactions, but also Libby even kind of says, uh, I don't, I'm not, I forget how she phrases it, but she says something along the lines of, it's not just because I don't like the way, she treats me or something of that nature yeah she's she's quick to say
1: it's not because i it's not because i don't like her because she doesn't like me but yeah yeah but then she kind of is quick to be like i don't think she could commit an atrocity like that though she kind of is like she's a crazy person but i don't think she's capable of that
0: yeah yeah well and but then uh the show goes kind of to to sarah goes to the apartment and we kind of get a little bit more context of she can't have, like for some reason she, ha- she can't have a child. Yeah. And it kind of gives you a little bit of that grief or motive or any of those things to kind of show. Oh, yeah. To put her in the profile that the characters are already kind of creating, right? Yeah. And and the scene of her dancing in that purple dress doesn't really no. help things, right? So weird. Yeah. Very strange. um But yeah, any other thoughts on Act 2? No, sir. All right. Act 3, Libby breaks into Dr. Marco's office and steals Martha Knapp's file. She almost gets caught as Marco heads in, but his conversation with Mr. Burns about Sarah Howard bothering him ends up leading him away from the office once again. Violet shows up at the New York Times office, interrupting John as he looks through the high amount of baby death certificates from the lying-in hospital. She asks for his wedding invite list and remarks that they're the most eligible bachelors in the world and Sarah Howard. She remarks that Sarah... uh, Sarah should be put down for two, as she must be bringing someone. Sarah meets Laszlo at his office as he finishes a session with a boy named Polly on a magic trick. Sarah explains her visit to the hospital wasn't incredibly fruitful, but she did meet a girl named Libby who may help them. She also informs Laszlo that Senora Linares has agreed to be hypnotized. At Sarah's office, Laszlo hypnotizes the Senora, who begins to recall the day of her daughter's abduction in rich detail. She gets flustered, stands up, and begins speaking Spanish laszlo asks her what or who she sees and she collapses into her chair um once again more good suspense libby breaking into the office uh we also get some more uh tom burns which is always uh, a delight absolutely um particularly his his line i the, the the um the always uh assuring line of well if you did nothing wrong then you have nothing to worry about right yeah <laughs> um was, was it was a good application there and i, I kind of liked his delivery about it his kind of dismissive
1: yeah that's you know. that's like what i was saying last week like Burn he plays burns like he's one step ahead of everybody else instead of one step behind which is really cool i feel like mm-hmm. normally the temptation would be to play him like a little more of a lackey but he's playing him like he just has a little wink in his eye a little yeah. like he's a little more hip to it than what everybody else is which is cool
0: yeah Um, but yeah, yeah, this isn't the first time that we've seen Burns with Marco. I think he was there after Laszlo interrupted the, uh, interrupted the, the public, uh, seminar or whatever he was giving. So it's interesting to see their, their relationship continue. And it certainly seems like, um, like Burns has got his hands in everything for some reason. He does violet showing up at the new york times office uh john john looking at all like he's he's got a bunch of papers with him she's like what is that and and he says uh these are all the death certificates for the babies at the lying in hospital it's just like if the numbers are that high why hasn't anybody been asking any questions before
1: (laughs) yeah definitely indicative of the the times for sure people Mm -hmm. being like oh man baby died that's too bad but then like you know, nobody's bothering to put it together
0: well and but the thing is is like even john, john recognizes it as an inordinate amount of kids though right so it's not like um uh not that there's a whole lot of attention paid to it but just kind of the idea that it seemed it stands out to him so so it must be kind of yeah. uh beyond the norm but um uh, we get a little context here for kind of uh, Violet's impression of Sarah um, and, mm-hmm. and kind of how she seems to see Sarah as a threat. Yeah. Um, and also kind of um, the... I feel like at least a little bit of a seed gets planted in John's mind of like, oh, she must... Violet's like, you got to put Sarah down for two because she's totally bringing somebody. and And it seems like that... Almost is an inciting incident for things later in this episode that kind of makes John mm-hmm. question things a little bit, or start to, or continue to, or question more. <laughs> Whatever it may be. Um We get to see a little bit of Laszlo at his institute, so the institute has not closed down th- as of yet, uh, clearly. Um, But he does a nice little magic trick for Polly in- in- with some colored scarves and the... His line about, uh, should you find a coin in your pocket, you should buy a deck of cards. And what, however he says that, I, I found extremely charming. And it was just like, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: exactly. I, I thought the exact same thing. This is, per- this is the kind of scene that we needed a little bit more of in season one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Although
1: now I think that they were really drawing out his... I guess they do the same thing in the book, too, the first book. They kind of draw out his coldness for a long time and you don't get the reveal about him and Mary until like late in the book pretty much the same as the show and uh yeah so anyway it I'm just glad that we got a scene like that because it was adorable it was perfect
0: yeah seeing just kind of seeing his humanity come out as he's talking with these children that he's that he's treating and, and taking care of and, I think and you see how how good
1: he is with them. Not I mean not only does he want to be but he genuinely is like they they like him and they yeah. they find him like nice and comfortable. And these are mostly kids who have been through some insane trauma and mm-hmm. he's able to kind of get through to them, which is really awesome. Especially when you see contrast with like almost every single adult he comes into contact with, they're like, Oh, you're that alienist. Ugh.
0: Like they just, <laughs> yeah. re- they
1: recoil from him. Like, uh, yeah, he's
0: it's, it's such a cool contrast to see. Yeah. And it's nice to see Sarah react to it the same way that the audience is, right? Just mm-hmm. kind of delighted by the by the magic trick and and the the, the doctor's bedside manner at least. Exactly. So. Yeah, cuz then
1: you look at him and you're just like Laszlo? <laughs> but <it's, laughs> yeah. he he makes it
0: he Daniel Brühl totally embodies it perfectly. It's awesome. Yeah. Um and then we've got the hypnosis of of Señora Linares. Um I like the I like that they kind of set up uh the senor um, objecting to the situation a little bit as as Laszlo begins to, like, you know, touch her hand to, like, s- feel where she's at and kind of yeah. assist her through the hypnosis. And then Sarah can kind of step in and say, I've been through it. I did this, you know, it's it's okay. It's not something to be worried about. Right. um But... I thought the I thought the actress playing the señora did a great job of kind of reacting to everything. I just wish that they had they had carried over the the depiction like we said with the balloon. I don't know what it would have been in this particular case if it was hmm. you know even if they like put that photographer cart in the room with them or the flash or, or something like yeah. just the photographer taking a picture or something inside the room with them. I think it would have been Totally interesting.
1: There was but. another show I was just watching where they did that. It might have been the Umbrella Academy. Mm. I've been watching that, which you should check out if you have not already.
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard good things. I feel
1: about like it. it's kind of a you hard watch, but there's a lot of there's a lot of worth there. I think it's absolutely worth getting into and trying for like three. You got
0: I'd say three episodes. You
1: got to get to at least the end of episode two. But anyway, okay. that's a different
0: conversation yeah uh but yeah i wish i wish they would have done more with it at that point but um
1: yeah i always love stuff like that where like you could you could have the camera on her and show like laszlo pacing behind her or something and then move the camera around to over her shoulder and see like some of the cast from the park and have laszlo walk through with them and then have the camera move around and then as it goes back around again they're not they're gone right
0: Uh, yeah that kind of even to see like Laszlo, even I guess maybe it would have been a little bit too on the nose to have him kind of reacting to whatever the mm. whatever the yeah. people are reacting to as well. But the idea of kind of allowing him to step into their head in this visual metaphor, I think
1: in, Han- I think in could- Hannibal that happens a lot. It's not quite the okay. same. It's more the inverse where the exact crime scene is there during the the crime, and Will steps into it. Like it, mm. it builds around him, so it's 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 not really like sharing the space with the memory. It's more like it completely overtakes it, what he's experiencing. So, okay. uh, I know you you haven't watched much Hannibal, have you? That, no, I have not. I, that's, I really want to. Yeah, it's so good. That's not what I was thinking of, but it's it is very similar.
0: Okay, that's fair. Any other thoughts on Act Three?
1: Uh, no. Although I just made the connection between something Laszlo and them say in towards the end of episode four and the the senora's hypnosis. So I probably should have figured that out earlier, but we'll have to come back to that in the next episode. Put a pin in that.
0: We'll get there. Mm -hmm. Another tease. Episode four Uh, is going to be so lit, you guys. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, yes. All right. I got it right here. As Marcus mixes uh, mixes up the exact chemical combination that the killer used to make the antidote, which is activated charcoal and a tincture of iodine, Lucius confesses that he gave information to Burns to protect Marcus. Hmm. John, Sarah, and Laszlo discuss the Signor's hypnosis session, and John was impressed with her vivid details. Laszlo explains that she was a painter, and John suggests that she paint during the hypnosis to help her express her experience, but she would need an assistant to help. Sarah asks Cecilia Bowe, who is a real-life American painter and the Signor's art teacher, to help the senora as she and she agrees in the second attempt at hypnosis, the Signora completes a vivid painting of the tea house and confirms the dark presence she feels watching her there is indeed a woman. Sarah and Millie head to the tea house to find the photographer there and ask to see anything he took on that day of the abduction. Um, I I don't really know how this Lucius and Marcus thing is gonna play out and where it's headed. Yeah, I don't
1: I don't, know I don't if either. You know more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I felt the same I way. Was like, ex- I was expecting it to be like they cut to a scene where, like, Burns walks in and Lucius is there alone and, like, Marcus steps out and, like, shanks him in the back or something. I don't know what, like, I, it, it doesn't...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think it currently feels like it has no bearing on anything. He just tells him and Marcus is like, oh,
0: okay. Maybe it's raising the stakes for the Isaacsons, I guess, a little bit And in, in that. If Marcus, or if Lucius has confessed this and burns comes around again to hear more um his his reluctance to provide more information may may uh prove deadly for one of them mm. right? so I guess we shall see um John kind of stumbling on the painting idea fun mm-hmm. you know not really the it's cool not that- the most intellectual of the group but for him to kind of be like, well let's have a paint it's cool yeah that such a progressive idea would come from. From him, of all people. Well, and you know what? It probably came from him because of his deep experience as an illustrator for the New York Times mm. in season one of The Alienist. That's gotta be it. So that's why they made him He's
1: a man of the visual language. He's yes. got a whole sketchbook yes. full of nudes. <laughs> he's like, of he's like showing
0: them. <laughs> just him in front of a mirror
1: drawing himself drawing himself in front of a mirror, drawing himself in front of a mirror,
0: every single page. <laughs> hey, if the person who made the Fig Newton Photoshop for us is listening, please make a, uh, a, another drawing of Luke Evans, drawing himself nude in front of a mirror many many times. Thank you. We appreciate you. Um, I don't know much about Cecilia Bow, uh, but another historical figure. It seems kind of inserted in here. I don't know if you know whether or not she appeared in the book at all. But I
1: don't think so. I think this one okay. is,
0: is pulled for the show.
1: Which it's in it's in the spirit of a real. It's in the spirit of somebody who is in the book, who's uh, who is okay. a painter as well. But it's not her. But I think this. I think this is cool.
0: It's interesting that they don't really. I, I Like, if you name-drop Cecilia Bowe, I'm sure there are some history fans out there who know these things, or art history, art history fans, people, things yeah. like that. But, like, um, it's like they're name-dropping for people who might not necessarily get it. Like, I almost wonder if there are other people we missed in season one, or somewhere else in this season. Probably, and I think
1: I like that. I like that I might not necessarily know who everybody is, but to to go to that extent, rather than just to be like, her art teacher,
0: Jill. I don't. I don't know what made me check it. I think it must have been the way that they mentioned her name or something like that. Where I was like, I'm gonna Google Cecilia Bow. Yeah. So that's interesting. I should try to take note of that if that happens again. But I, I don't know what what pushed me to to kind of check that out. Well,
1: Burns was real, and they're. I feel like they're taking a lot of liberty with how corrupt he was <laughs> i hope <laughs> yeah i mean he probably was but uh i don't know if he quite was so, i don't know but yeah
0: he. Was, how does the how does the burns estate feel about this depiction right of Thomas exactly Bryant, if there is one <laughs>
1: yeah did ted levine meet with the family and get their blessing
0: <laughs> oh yeah he was a real bastard <laughs> <laughs> i'll go for it <laughs> Um, and then the painting of the tea house I thought uh I thought kind of it stretches credulity a little bit. I don't know how well somebody would paint under hypnosis, but I've never tried it myself, so who knows if
1: yeah i mean if you were an artist, if that was like your vocation, i mean they say she gave it up for like the family you know if it's if like if if you were being hypnotized and there was a bass in your hand, would you be able to play something probably like i think
0: Pro- probably, but like I feel like participating in the world in front of me would only serve to take me out of the hypnosis, right?
1: Yeah, maybe I don't so know. So I don't if yeah. if it's so like ingrained in your in your muscle memory too, like your ability to yeah. to transfer. I mean, it's it's really just using like if you're painting in real life, you're using your eyes and you're transferring that into your arm. And if you're hypnotized, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I, I believe it, but. Um, it is interesting. I mean, shit though. I see those videos of those people that paint those crazy murals in like 60 seconds and it's upside down and they flip it at the end and you're like, oh my God, that's someone's that's Bruce Lee or whoever. That's unbelievable. Like the stuff, the stuff that artists can do blows my mind. And it does, I think for some people taps into something that you
0: either have or you don't like, it's just, it's amazing. That, that makes sense. I guess, I guess the thing with the hypnosis is, is, you're meant to be susceptible to suggestion to to, to do things and think of things and things of that nature. So Very maybe, true. maybe that's just part of it. Yeah. It's, it's you know. certainly not, the painting is not admissible in court. <laughs> we'll say that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, but at least, you know, the idea of like, uh, now imagine you have a paintbrush in your hand and there's, there's a, there's a canvas in front of you, please paint what you see mm-hmm. or what, like whatever it would be. I guess that kind of, yeah. If you buy into the hypnosis, then that should probably work. Right. I don't know, but uh, I wish we could test yeah. it. Yeah, that's a that's a bonus for the Patreon. Alex goes to a hypnotist <laughs> and, and uh, paints. Yes, <laughs> finger paints. It's just dick butt from Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> in
1: in like colors though. Uh, I love the way that they describe, sort of the malevolent, like dark, shadowy mm. figure lurking over her. Like I love, absolutely love the way they describe the killer as like a force rather than a person just like this, this like kind of gloom over overshadowing everything. It's so cool. I love it.
0: Yeah. And just kind of her perception of it and the fact that she's experiencing it through this foreign experience of hypnotism and, um, and also the fact that it kind of recontextualizes that day that we, cause we saw that moment, Oh yeah. but we had no real, indication of what could have been going on there so I, I thought that was that's it's it's an interesting kind of way to to play with things that you've already seen yeah all Right. uh anything else in act four no sir all right act five libby stops sarah on her way into the office to drop off martha the martha nap file that she stole from the hospital at john's bachelor party a mesmerized laszlo watches exotic dancers as john prepares to call it a night Augie persuades him into slumming it somewhere for a nightcap, and on their way to the next stop, John and a very drunken Laszlo convince Sarah to come out, particularly because Augie would want her to be there. At the Montrose First Class Oyster Saloon, Cyrus congratulates John, and John offers to get his niece Joanna a job at the Times. Meanwhile, Sarah asks Augie for a letter of recommendation to send Bitsy undercover at the lying-in house. He accepts, but also requests to take Sarah out for dinner, which she agrees to. Lazlo gives a wonderful speech about John and his impending nuptials despite his inebriated state. John drinks in the touching speech while wistfully looking at Sarah across the room. And finally, we see the abductor breastfeed baby Anna confirming much of what was learned in this episode. Um, Libby giving the Martha nap file. Cool. You know, the idea that she's got to take it back the next day makes sense. Um, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about that. Uh, John's bachelor party... Uh, which we, which I didn't really touch on earlier, but was something that they discussed, and and John was a little miffed that it was coming before the engagement party, of course. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting as two married men to look on what was a bachelor party then and what is one now. It's not like things have changed all that much, right? But <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it has an air of an air of familiarity from famil.
1: Fam- <laughs> Sorry, I just took a nice, big, hearty swig of bourbon before uh, this, this conversation. Uh, it did have a lot of the same trappings as bachelor parties today, but it, it felt so hilariously formal, like, for the dinner, because they're all in their, you know, formal wear, yeah. and it's very stuffy, and yeah, I, mm-hmm. I started thinking of my bachelor party and, uh, and chuckling as I was watching it, remembering some of the uh, the moments. Yeah, I mm. drunk Laszlo is the best.
0: He's It was extremely funny. He's so good. I wrote down his 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 line that he says to Sarah. Tis now the very witching time of night when churchyards yawn and hell itself breathes out contagion into this world.
1: <laughs> it's so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, he
1: like <laughs> the best part is like he's drunk, he knows he's drunk Laszlo and he's like I'm going to dial it up even more. Like he says shit mm. like that, which he would get close to when he's sober, but he's like, I'm drunk. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to just spout well, this gibberish.
0: And even like, I, I found it even more charming when Sarah sits down in the carriage and is like, Hey, I got the Martha Nat file. And Laszlo's immediately like, Oh really? Yep. And and is like actually engaged with the conversation and not like, Oh, we're drunk right now and having fun, you know, forget about that work or whatever. Yeah. He's still, he pivots quickly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so that was, that was pretty good. Sarah does learn that Colleen Ledwidge, who we mentioned earlier and met earlier in the episode, was the last person to check on Martha Knapp, so that's inter- uh, important to note here. Um, but, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but the idea of planting somebody undercover, I thought, was uh, a lot of fun, and... and um breathes even more life into this season that I don't even necessarily think was there in the first season. You know, we got yeah, we got like stakeouts and we got them checking out different places that are of interest in season one, but the idea of like we're gonna put an undercover agent in somewhere to learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Felt felt pretty cool. Um the
1: idea of actually properly infiltrating something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and you know a little convenient that of course Agi Gildersleeve, once again the uh the Deus Ex Machina of season 2 of of uh of the alienist but uh it worked it worked for me mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean John um, John knows people i mean like that that's the thing he he is also from the that high society upper crust background and yeah which just r- comes into play in a really funny way in the next episode too but yeah. Um, he yeah, he knows he, kno- he went to prep school with all those types. <laughs> yeah,
0: makes sense. I Like their fencing in that sense. earlier scene when they yeah. introduced. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um and and the fact that he he uses Sarah as a distraction to get another hit mm-hmm. on Augie, yep. I think is is great. It's fun. Exactly what I would expect from him. Mm-hmm. Um other than that, we get John's going to get a job for Joanna at the Times. Uh I guess one of the questions that I was going to ask is um does the undercover aspect come into play in the book at all? Do do you know? Nah, not No. No, not in this capacity. Okay. But I think it's cool that it doesn't really strain credul- credulity. Like no, I think they No, yeah. I think they pick somebody well for it. I think the the letter. The only thing that I was kind of like, "Eh, was like Aggie was the way that they got the interview with Marco. So, wouldn't Aggie and Marco's kind of mm. rapport be a little damaged by that? But I, you know, it's it's passable. It's nothing. That's nothing. You know, I'll I'll buy it because I'll buy it. You know, right. Um, and I don't know. I guess Laszlo's speech was very very nice. Yeah, I liked everything that he said, and uh, and it felt like a that could have been like a best man speech for all you know Exactly what I thought. Yeah, it was it was it was lovely. And it it's the whole thing was
1: you know, Moore seems kinda of bummed out the whole time. Like he doesn't really he just isn't really in love with this woman, you know, doesn't really want to yeah. marry her. And I think Laszlo knows it, but Laszlo's gonna give him the speech he deserves anyway. And just yeah. and just wait for him to come around if he decides to. Which I think is really well,
0: but- really nice even the lines that he says at the end he says but it is my sincerest hope and wish that violet sees you as we do cares for you like we do will know you as we have known you and will love you like we do she should uh, should she dare yeah <laughs> and, and i it, it feels like another one of those kind of backhanded of like i don't know if she's up to this job but this is what you have with these people here in this room so um yeah it certainly seems also to be playing as 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 uh as I kind of posited earlier, the idea of Violet being weary of Sarah and that also her comment kind of bringing something out of John. It, it, it All of that. The wistful look at Sarah seems to be playing into this, and I know that you don't necessarily love that, but we can probably talk more about it in the next episode, would be my guess. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, and then the final uh, uh, moment of, of the uh, abductor sitting down to feed the baby Um, still very unsettling. Yep. Gross. Also kind of weird, like the cameras up in the rafters and it blocks like literally two thirds of the screen and just kind of like, um, just a very weird way to share things. But it's like, it's basically the last possible thing they can show you before they're going to rip the whole curtain down. Right. Yep. So I guess super gross. Do not want. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No. Good up. Yes, it was. It was a good up. Great up. Great up. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on TheAlienist.tv. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Podcasts. You can email us at at feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. We would love to hear from you. Please write in. Tell us if we've missed other historical characters. Tell us if you've been hypnotized. Tell us if you hypnotize people. Uh, let us know if you're a painter. Uh, let us know if you can identify breast milk under a microscope. Uh, we would love to hear from you. And uh, yeah. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. Find these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin MacLeod, and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's it for this episode of the Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what the next episode of the Alienist brings, and we hope it's going to be Google. But until then, we'll see you at the chalkboard.